today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. After they were brought to Babylon, again, all these others came through. We get down to verse 16. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. What a mess. But aren't you glad that God uses messes? Now, he doesn't want us to stay as a mess. He wants us to mature. He wants us to grow. He wants to start a new heritage with those that are his children. We have absolutely no right to go back and say, well, the reason my life is such a mess is because of the way that I grew up. Don't fall into the trap of blaming your choices on how you were raised or your heritage. Yes, your parents may have had a great influence on your life, for better or for worse, but it's only an influence. You are the one who chooses the way you live. As Pastor David will clearly illustrate through the genealogy of Jesus, all of us will mess up and make bad choices, and all of us can find some fault with people who raised us. But ultimately, you can be made a new creation when you choose to follow Christ. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Genesis chapter 32 as he continues his message, What's Your Pedigree? And said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men, and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just an interesting sidestep in the midst of Every bit of craziness here, God is still working in Jacob's life. God has a plan and a purpose for Jacob's life, for the deceiver, the trickster, uh, the one who has lied and, and deceived so many. God is still working and moving with him. And God even changes his name. Jacob, he is now known as Israel. And over in Genesis chapter 35, look down in verse uh, 23, we see that Israel, or Jacob, is the father of all these children. Now the sons of Jacob, yeah, verse, uh, the second part of verse 23. Now the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of uh, Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant, were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. So we have all 12 of the sons there. Now, Matthew tells us, going back to Matthew chapter 1 and the lineage, we're not done with Genesis yet, but Matthew tells us that even though Reuben was the oldest, that actually, uh, not only the oldest, but he was also uh, 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 the favored 
of, of Joseph at that point in time, or, or that Joseph was a favorite. I'm sorry. Reuben was the oldest. Joseph was the favorite. And it was yet neither, through, neither one of those that the bloodline glows. The bloodline went through Judah. And it's interesting when we look at Judah because there's a lots of problems with Judah. Chapter 38. Won't take time to, to read the whole thing. But in essence, uh, Judah has three sons. The first son marries a wife. He dies before they have a child. So Judah takes the second son and says, hey, you need to marry your sister-in-law. Uh, how many of you guys are up for that? But uh, anyway, you got to marry your sister-in-law. You have to have a child by her. He doesn't, and God kills him. So two sons are dead now. God killed both of them. He has a third son, but he's a lot younger. So Judah tells his daughter-in-law, Tamar, he says, look, you, you just go back home, and as my third son gets older, once he gets old enough to marry, I'll send him to you, and he can, uh, uh, again, give you a child so that you can inherit the, the, the blessings from my family. And so the problem is, as he grew up, Tamar found out that no, he, that Judah wasn't keeping his word. Tamar found out that Judah was coming into town. She dresses up as a prostitute. It's not a pretty story. She dresses up as a prostitute. Judah comes into town, sees a prostitute by the side and says, hey, uh, come with me. And she says, hey, you got to pay me. He didn't have anything with him. He says, I'll give you my signet ring and I'll give you my, my staff. They went in, they had relations, find out later that she actually conceived by Judah. Uh, when Judah sent somebody to go back and get his staff and stuff, the lady was gone. And so he said, well, forget it. Don't worry about it. Let's move on. And then a little bit later on in the scene, some people come to him and say, hey, we found out that Tamar, your daughter-in-law, who does not have a husband right now, she's pregnant. So apparently she's been messing around. And so Judah is ready to stone her. And so they bring her out and Judah says, hey, we're going to stone her. And she says, okay, but first I'll confess, the one whose child this is, he owns this staff and this signet ring. And at that point in time, Judah kind of stops the whole thing, and they, they don't stone her. She ends up having two children, uh, Perez and Zerah. Uh, of these two, Perez and Zerah, twins again, Perez is the one that then the bloodline goes through. So when you think of the bloodline that they're looking at here uh, in Matthew, it is absolutely bizarre, all the events that are happening. It was a descendant of Perez that we find that later on uh, in, in, verse, in, in Matthew, uh, verses 4 and 5, the de- descendant of Perez is a guy by the name of Salmon. And many believe that Salmon, S-A-L-M-O-N, was very most likely one of the two spies that Joshua sent out to look at Jericho. And remember what happened to the two spies. They ended up hiding out at the house of the prostitute by the name of Rahab. Rahab saves their lives by hiding them away up on the roof. Later they come, and as they destroyed Jericho, they save Rahab and her family. Well, it's from Matthew's account that we we read that Salmon is the one who is married now to Rahab, and they have a bouncing baby boy by the name of Boaz, and Boaz grows up, and he marries that Moabite woman, that foreigner, that Gentile woman by the name of Ruth, and that's what the whole book of Ruth is about. 
we find in the book of Ruth and also in Matthew chapter 1 that Ruth and Boaz, they have a son by the name of Obed. Obed, he ends up having a son by the name of Jesse. And Jesse had a bunch of sons. But the favored one was this young, scruffy-faced-looking shepherd by the name of David, who would later become the king of Israel. Now you think, okay, now you got to David, so it's got to be good, it's got to be great from here on in. But no, it's not at all. The problem comes up as David, King David, later on in his reign, He finds himself absolutely bored to death because he was not going out and fighting the battles, which was what the kings were supposed to do during that time. He sent his troops out. He stayed at home. So he's bored in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. We read, really, of this this major downfall in David's life. Again, he's, he's at home. He's bored. He goes up on the roof. He sees this woman next door outside, probably the middle of the night, bathing. He lusts after her. He tells his troops to go and get her and, again, has relations with her. David now is an adulterer. She conceives a child, and now because of his own embarrassment, David gets her husband from the war to come back and tries to get him to have relationships with his wife, but he's more noble guy than the king. And he says, how in the world could I go in and lay with my wife while all of my compadres are out there? They're still fighting the battle. No, I'm not going to do that. And David tries it a couple of different nights. It doesn't work. So David, the great schemer, the great godly, holy man that he is, he sends a message to Joab, his captain of his army, and says, Send Uriah up to the front of the battle and then pull back from him. So in essence, what he's doing is he's he's giving the death certificate for Uriah. So now an adulterer, now he's a murderer as well as a liar. All of these things happening. Again, all of his own making because of what started out where he wasn't where he was supposed to be at the time he was supposed to be. Well, that first child dies and we read then in 2 Samuel chapter 12 that the Lord gives David and Bathsheba another son by the name of Solomon because, because, her, because Uriah the Hittite had died, uh, David brought Bathsheba in as his, one of his wives. They have another son by the name of Solomon. And now here is where we begin to have a real issue with the genealogies of Matthew and Luke where they really take a change. Solomon the son of David and Bathsheba, he actually started out great. Well, maybe not great, but, but at least he, 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 he better than he ended up because he ended up really bad. Look at 1 Kings with me, if you would. We don't have time to read it all, but in essence, the Lord gives Solomon the opportunity to ask for whatever he wanted. And instead of asking for um, great power or great wealth or whatever, he just asked for wisdom. Give me wisdom to be able to, to, to rule the people well. And because he asked for that, God says, well, because you asked for that, I am going to give you wisdom, but I'm also going to give you riches. I'm also going to give you great power and authority. And yet, we, even with that work of God within his life, if you're still in 1 Kings, go on down to chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, 1 Kings chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh. 
women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonites, and the Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall neither intermarry with them nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as the heart of his father David. And then on it goes. Look down in verse uh, 9. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and have not kept my commandment and my statutes, which I have commanded, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you, and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom, I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David, for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. God had a plan. God had a purpose. Solomon was a part of that plan. I believe a great part of that purpose. But because of his own sin, God pulled everything away. God says, I'm still going to work through Israel. I'm still going to bless the message that I gave to David. I'm still going to hold on to that small portion. It's not going to be nearly as great as it was because I still love Israel. I've still chosen Israel. At the death of Solomon, his son Rehoboam took over the kingdom of Israel. But he also, he caused the whole kingdom to be divided into by listening to a bunch of uh, uh, wicked friends uh, rather than listening to the, the, the counselors that Solomon had. He began treating the people very cruelly and began taxing them greatly. And not unlike what's happening in France right now, the people of Israel revolted and the nation divided. Real quick, look over 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 8 through 11. He rejected the advice of the elders, had given him, consulted with the young men he had grown up with. And uh, what advice do you give me? How should I answer the people? Should I lighten their load, which uh, your father put on us? Uh, The young men, verse 10, told him in, in essence this. Thus you shall speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on this. Thus you shall say to them, No, my little finger is going to be thicker than my father's waist. And now whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke, My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So what a great way to win and influence, uh, you know, the the nation. He comes in thinking that he is so great and so powerful. And right at that point, that's when the whole nation, again, divides and walks away. And once that northern kingdom divided from the southern kingdom, they never had a good king after that. They continued to press on and follow after idols. But as far as the southern kingdom, which should have been the bloodline of David leading to the Messiah, we do find a few decent to good kings and several bad kings. 
All of that in the bloodline of David. Go back to uh, Matthew chapter 1 real quickly. Starting in verse 7. Solomon, who started out good, ended up bad. Rehoboam, he ended up bad, or it was bad. Rehoboam begot uh, Abijam, and he was bad, getting in a jam all the time. Uh, Abijah uh, begot Asa. Asa was a good king. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. He was a good king. Jehoshaphat begot Joram. He was a bad king. Joram begot Uzziah. He was a good king. Uzziah begot Jotham. He was a good king. Jotham begot Ahaz. He was a bad king. Ahaz begot Hezekiah. He was a good king. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Manasseh was a bad king, but then he repented and became a good king. Manasseh begot Ammon. He was a bad king. Ammon begot Josiah. He was a good king. Then Josiah, verse 11, begot Jeconiah. Now, he was bad, and it says that his brothers at about that time, they were carried away to Babylon. It was 586 BC when the southern kingdom was completely destroyed by the Babylonians, and it never, ever fully recovered. Oh, they let them come back and rebuild the temple and the walls, but it never came back to its glory days at all. But we find that the bloodline of David did continue. But here in verse 11, we read of Jeconiah. Now, another commentator on Matthew declares, it's a particular interest is the inclusion of Jeconiah, of whom Jeremiah had said, record this man as if he is childless. Jeremiah's prophecy related to the actual occupation of the throne and the reception of blessing while on that throne. Though Jeconiah's sons never occupied the throne, the line of rulership actually did pass through them. If Jesus had been a physical descendant of Jeconiah, he would not have been able to occupy David's throne. Luke's genealogy, though, makes it clear that Jesus was a physical descendant of David through another son, not through Solomon, but through Nathan. And Joseph, a descendant of Solomon, Joseph, again, Mary's husband, a descendant of Solomon, was Jesus' legal father. So Jesus, right through the throne, was traced through that bloodline of Joseph. Well, now, after the Babylonian captivity, the nation, again, never recognized a king again. Yet that bloodline continued. And it's interesting to note that of these names that we see here in in verse 12 through 15, none of those names are found in our Old Testament. They've all been taken uh, through uh, public or family registries. Uh, Again, the Jews would have kept those uh, very well. Their accuracy never challenged as far as who it was and, and what that bloodline went. Verse 12, after they were brought to Babylon... Again, all these others came through. We get down to verse 16. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. What a mess. But aren't you glad that God uses messes? Now, he doesn't want us to stay as a mess. He wants us to mature. He wants us to grow. He wants to start a new heritage with those that are his children. We have absolutely no right to go back and say, well, the reason my life is such a mess is because of the way that I grew up. Because once you become a believer, the Word of God says that the old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. 
Now, you may carry some scars. I understand that. You may even carry some habits, some, some you know, that say, you know, through the, the bloodline, some are more, uh, 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 more likely to be uh, uh, addicts or more likely in some areas. But you know what? As a child of God, you are called to see the victory of God in your life and to rise up out of those things. You can begin a new heritage. You as a grandparent can work that heritage for your grandchildren and honor great-grandchildren. You as parents pouring into your children. If you're waiting to become perfect before you step out and serve the Lord or his church, guess what? You ain't never going to make it. You're not going to make it. Our, our, our life grows as we simply step out in obedience. When we step out in obedience to what we know God's called us to do, then we are strengthened in our inner man, in our spirit, because of obedience. Obedience has its own reward because it brings in us, again, that strength of walking. And, and I, I say it so often because I, I see it so often in my own life, okay? When you fall, fall forward. Fall forward. Fall into the arms of the Lord. The, the enemy wants you to fall backwards. The enemy wants you to be embarrassed because of the, the multitude of messes in your life. But let me ask you this. If you know and you understand the sovereignty of God, do you not understand that he knew that you were an absolute mess when he called you to himself to begin with? And yet he calls us anyway. He calls us to work and move within us for his glory. The Apostle Paul tells us very clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As a matter of fact, turn there with me. This is where we'll close. It is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And look down in verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But we have this treasure, in other words, the treasure of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, in earthen vessels. We're the earthen vessels. We're a bunch of clay pots. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. What did he tell the Apostle Paul? He says, in your weakness I'm made strong. It doesn't mean that we stay in sin. It doesn't mean that we uh, continue to uh, say, oh, it's no big deal. No, we continue to strive. Like Paul said, I continue to press on toward that high calling of Christ. He wants us to move forward. But beloved, when messes come into your life, don't allow the enemy to beat you up so bad that you become stagnant or fall further back. Realize that the victory is yours in Christ, that we are more than conquerors through him. Amen? Amen. Amen. No matter what your background, no matter what your pedigree, God has reason and he has purpose for calling you into his kingdom. May we all be found obedient found obedient to his purposes, and live a life that exalts him. Amen.
Christmas time has arrived again, and with it, the typical carols, decorations, and events of the season. We're so glad that today you've taken the time to study God's Word with us and rejoice in the true reason for the season, Jesus Christ. How can we be praying for you during Christmas? We'd love to know, as well as how we can be joining you in praise for all God's doing. Would you give us a call? We can be reached at 520-836-9676. If you'd like to listen to more of Pastor David's teachings, you'll find them online at theopenword.com. We'd love to meet you too. Come by Calvary Chapel Casa Grande this weekend to join us for worship and Bible study. Find out more when you call us. Again, that number is 520-836-9676. As our time comes to a close today, Pastor David has a quick word of encouragement to share with you. Thanks, Chris. Any time you spend in God's Word is valuable, and I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. By diving deeper into Scripture and letting it saturate your heart and mind, you'll be ready to take on your day as well as be prepared when the enemy attacks. If you're not sure where to start, you can begin by reading today's passage again, or simply begin with the Gospel of Mark, a short and simple reading. If your heart is open to the Holy Spirit's direction, you can't go wrong. Hey, thanks for tuning in today, and I hope you'll join me again next time. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in to The Open Word. Merry Christmas.